Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. On this episode, I had astrologer Jalisa Cypress on to discuss the Pluto and Scorpio generation and this generation's relationship with social change. You'll need to look up any given natal chart to be sure of where Pluto is located, but the Pluto and Scorpio generation is born roughly between 1983 and 1995. We discuss some of the major themes of this generation, how this generation influences the social fabric, and how this generation as well as other generations are involved with the current racial justice movement. Understanding the generations through the Pluto placements is really a deeper way of understanding generational trends. I'll be honest, that's the only way I study generations. I do know the terms, like the general collective, like boomer, Gen Z, millennials, like I know those things, but I really personally cognize the generations through the Pluto placements. And the Pluto stories are just so deep and juicy and like worth exploring and worth locating yourself inside of. Because of Pluto's slow orbit, Pluto's time in one sign will span a generation or several depending. Pluto has this elliptical orbit and spends more time in certain signs than others. And Pluto happens to spend the shortest amount of time in Scorpio, but it is this very potent placement for Pluto. And this is because it is its sign of modern rulership. So in modern astrology, Pluto rules Scorpio. Traditional astrologers will use Mars as the ruler of Scorpio, and you can choose, um, or you can use both depending on different techniques. I am a modern astrologer. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, and I've just started studying Hellenistic astrology because I wanted to understand like what a lot of my colleagues and friends are into And I also have gotten Hellenistic readings and find a lot of value and depth in it. So I'm not really into like one being right and one being wrong. I think that they're actually just different lenses. So just wanted to point that out when I talk about Pluto ruling Scorpio, I'm newly self-conscious that when I say that, that is one lens of looking at it and that's a modern perspective. So on this podcast, we've talked about Pluto and Scorpio, we've talked about Pluto and Virgo, and Pluto and Sagittarius, so Pluto and Libras, you're next. Maybe Pluto and Leos, too. I know that there are Pluto and Leos who listen to this podcast. Pluto is also deeply personal in the natal chart and speaks to an individual's story of power. I've been big on Pluto, and in the time since I last came on here and I had this episode waiting in the wings... Um, I've been working on some of the things that I am providing in an upcoming Kickstarter. 
or no, the Kickstarter is current. The rewards are upcoming. So the Kickstarter is to fund a year ahead of astrology forecasts and Magic of the Spheres podcast episodes. This June marked the beginning of the sixth year of weekly content creation. So I've been sharing these weekly forecasts and that's been evolving and eventually evolved into this podcast as well. And I get hundreds of messages through, you know, I've gotten hundreds of messages throughout the years of people feeling really deeply impacted by my work. Um, and so this work that I do is also an invitation to get a reading with me or to study with me. But some people do just read me for years before working with me personally. And I decided that I wanted to ask for support from community this year for those of you who enjoy my content to help me uh, make a living as an astrologer and a content creator based on what I'm sharing freely. So in this Kickstarter, I'm offering a bunch of rewards like astrology downloadables, astrology readings, and discounted tuition to my evolutionary astrology intensive and my new course online presences performance art. And one of the astrology downloadables is an aspects to Pluto audio. So it details natal placements um, between Pluto and all the other planets. And it was really this alchemical writing process to go through Pluto's transform transformational arcs with all of the planets. These are ideas that I've been working with for years, but haven't consolidated into one file or one product. So I'm super excited about that. If this particular audio is available at the $25 tier for the Kickstarter and is packaged into all the other reward tiers. So literally everyone who claims a reward for the Kickstarter will get this Aspects to Pluto audio. The Kickstarter has been going really well and I thank you for that. At the time of recording this, we're on day 16 of the 40-day campaign. We're at 58 backers and almost $11,000. So my goal is to have 200 backers and I'm asking if you can help me reach that goal. So if you love this podcast, if you love the forecast, go ahead and check out the link in the show notes to the Kickstarter and consider pledging. I'm offering, as I mentioned, a lot of different rewards. So I want to take a moment to mention um, a little bit more about the Evolutionary Astrology Intensive and the Online Presence as Performance Art class. So the Evolutionary Astrology Intensive is an immersive experience to gain a foundation for soul-level astrology. So understanding the archetypes of the planets, the signs, the houses, um, aspects at depth, and learn how to read a natal chart as a whole picture. This course is really for you to have that click where you get astrology or get initiated into a deeper level of your understanding. Throughout the course, I'm available for discussion and questions, and I really give the course a personal touch because I believe that relationship is one way that we learn. And I like to share my passion and my knowledge about astrology and also model how astrology is applied to life. So the community aspect and having discussions feels really important to me in terms of the learning process of this class. The class structurally involves pre-recorded modules that you can access at any time at your own pace, or you can keep pace with the course, and then live calls every week 
that culminate in several workshop style classes where we analyze each other's charts from the evolutionary astrology perspective. Evolutionary astrology is a pretty unique branch of astrology. Um, It's very psychological in orientation. And from a technical level, we look at Pluto and the nodes of the moon and the planetary rulers of the nodes of the moon, which I promise you'll understand through taking the course if you don't already know what those things are. But it basically sets up this capacity to understand the chart from the perspective of the soul's past lives and how that is being integrated and worked with in this lifetime. I don't believe that the natal chart is a map of every single past life you've had, but more kind of like relevant past lives, the ones that you're directly working with, kind of like a spread of cards, like you have several or more kind of relevant lifetimes because we've had a lot of countless lifetimes. There's a lot of karma that we come here with, but certain threads that we work with in this life. Now, discovering this story of where you're coming from and where you're headed is an amazing narrative to gain about yourself. I've been working with my own for eight years now through this particular branch of astrology, and it's helped me in every single area of my life. It's really powerful to have like a narrative, like a soulful mythos about yourself. And additionally, the way that I teach evolutionary astrology, and I think what's really kind of built into the teachings themselves of EA is a sense of evolution that we can change, that all of our deepest struggles and problems have a transformative arc to them. So by understanding the archetypes from that lens of multivalence and the wide spectrum of how they can manifest, we can kind of locate some of our deepest problems and issues and also imagine a arc of their development. We can also look into the higher potentials of any of the archetypes and choose to live into those on purpose. So it can be a very, um, you know, this class is inherently transformative and there's a lot of testimonials on the course page that I'll leave in the show notes that you can go check out and see if this course is for you. So you can enroll by payment plan or up front on the course page or catch the discount that I'm offering on the Kickstarter until July 30th. The online presence as performance art class is a new course that I'm really excited about. And I've developed it because I noticed that there was this need to re-enchant the internet and our participation with it. I think that there's a lot of cynicism about the internet and also a lot of fear about participating on it and being in the public and being seen. And yet, if you are a creative or a spiritual entrepreneur or a visionary, and you want your work to be known in the world, and you want to be seen, and you want to meet colleagues and ideal clients and new friends through your online presence, then learning the art of being an online presence is what I am here to teach. This course is really unlike anything else that's out there. Um, It's a mystical and psychological exploration about having an online presence. Mystical in the sense of participating with this global community and the web and what I call the collective airwaves. And psychological in terms of learning how to develop as a person through your life in the public. I believe that being in the public can make us better people. It creates a different standard by which we hold ourselves to. 
And then there's the art of like, well, how do you make your online presence authentic so that you're not just putting on a mask? But how do you step into this higher version of yourself? How does your persona become a vehicle through which you can become? Pretty much everyone has hangups about showing up online, has fears about it. And this is actually a big part of the personal development and psychological process that goes into having an online presence. And I think that for me, when it comes to helping people develop their online persona, it's a lot of the strategy of messaging and how you communicate and the art of that. And it's also the emotional work that goes along with it. So this class dives into explorations of both of those. And you can learn more about this course through the course page that I'm leaving in the show notes. And I highly suggest reading it because I've heard from people that the page description is this like shifting and informational read in of itself. I've heard many times that my love of the internet is contagious and I would love to help you have a more fun and magical relationship with the internet. The course is available for its lowest ever price through the Kickstarter. So go check it out before this month's July's end and also check out the evolutionary astrology intensive. And you can actually even sign up for both through the Kickstarter if that's what you want to do. So leaving links to all of that in the notes and here is more about Jalisa before we begin. Jalisa Cypress is an astrologer, writer, and artist committed to expanding people's minds and helping them love themselves and their lives more. She uses astrology as a catalyst to talk about broader spiritual topics, love and relationships, manifestation, and more. You can find out more about her and her work at jalisacypress.com. I will just say as well that I've left every conversation with Jalisa palpably with more knowledge and insight. I took her course that she produced with Colin Bedell, the Love and Relationships mini course, and got so much out of it. Jalisa brings a luminescent depth toward the topics that she explores, and I'm so glad to have had her on the show. Jalisa also has a podcast called Fun But Heavy that I'd suggest checking out. Here's our conversation. Welcome, Jalisa. I'm excited to have you on Magic of the Spheres. I am super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So to start out with, what brought you to practicing astrology? Yeah, it's so funny. Whenever I'm asked that question, um, it always goes back further and further because um, I remember reading Seventeen magazine (laughs) and always sort of like looking at the horoscopes in the back, but never telling anyone that I would. Um, And like picking up books when I was at um, Barnes and Noble when I was a kid, but like I never really looked into it seriously Um, until I worked at a spa in Portland, Oregon and all my coworkers talked about it. And um, yeah, I just started to get more serious about it because I started to have peers who actually respected it and um, who started to ask me questions that I was like, oh, I don't know. Or they would say things like rising sign. And I was like, what? Um, or just like things about rising signs or whatever that I didn't know. So then I went to Powell's, the huge bookstore here in Portland, 
and I got my first chart interpretation book and like started reading my friend's charts pretty quickly after that. Um, and when I saw the impact that it had made in terms of like how vulnerable people got and how much it impacted them and how accurate it was, I was like very blown away and very intrigued. Um, and so that sort of is my entry point for astrology is like wanting to connect more deeply with people, wanting to create spaces of vulnerability um, that are sacred and safe and wanting to help hold a mirror up to people um, and the world. And also I think astrology for me is so comforting because it, it reminds us that everything runs in cycles. Um, and yeah, but I, I try and use astrology now as like a conver- as a conversation starter um, for multiple spiritual topics and other like topics of life and not try and like box myself in as an astrologer. But yeah, I don't know if that was what you're asking for, but <laughs> yeah, I, I love that you point out that the context of astrology brings out like more intimacy in the space and in the conversation. Um, that's something that I really enjoy about it too. And we're speaking today about the Pluto and Scorpio generation. So for prefacing that, how do you contextualize working with Pluto for either the individual or the generational aspect of Pluto? Yeah, I really mostly look at Pluto based on planets it's aspecting, personal planets it's aspecting, um, and its house placement. I think its house placement means a lot to me um, to see like which area of life um, people are dealing most with the the themes of death and rebirth and transformation and also of like fear and uh, cycles in general in life. Um, and in terms of generational impact, I think... I feel like, especially with the Pluto and Scorpio generation, because I feel like that's sort of my, definitely like my client base is sort of like in that space. Um, It makes people feel less alone in their relationship to these larger Plutonian themes, especially with Pluto and Scorpio, because that's, it's um, modern ruler. Um, It's Scorpio's modern ruler. So yeah, I think for me, it's mostly about how it's interacting with the chart and and with the rest of the chart and less about sort of it as a solo um, relationship. Whereas I have, I feel like other planets, especially personal planets, I work with them more as like a solo character in the story. Got you. So I'm curious with what you're saying about people feeling like understood or they can relate mm-hmm. to that placement. What is it about Pluto that kind of, relieves people to hear about that they can connect with? Mm. I think that the themes of Pluto are really troubling for people because for me, Pluto is the underbelly. It's like when you lift up a rock and there's all the like squiggly worms and the dirt that's like darker than everywhere else. (laughs) Like that is Pluto. Um, and you realize that all that shit that's under the rock, sorry, I don't know if I can cast that. Yeah, you can. It's just funny that um, you bring up that image because I, I speak of that image as well and have just like visceral childhood memories of like lifting up rocks in my grandma's garden and seeing all these bugs come out. Like, yeah. 
Are you there? It just, okay. I think you're back. Yeah. You cut out for a second. Okay. I heard, I only heard a little bit of what you said. I heard it brings up a visceral childhood memory. Did it record on your end? Do we know? Yeah. I can just tell you what it was. Um, it was like lifting up rocks in my grandmother's garden and seeing all these bugs. Mm. Yeah. And I think when you do that, when you're a kid, you realize that there's stuff living under us and you realize that like there's more to the world and there's more to life. And that depersonalization that happens as a kid and those experiences were so meaningful to me as well. I also see Pluto as like the weird potions that I'd make with dirt and like flowers and stuff, you know, just like alchemizing all of the all of the things that you're told to sort of discount growing up, um, the more they interact with them, that feels like very Plutonian to me. And so I think it acts a similar way when you introduce it astrologically to, to say like, these are parts of, you're a part of a larger cycle of, um, of growth for, humanity um and for consciousness and so these issues that you're having are part of this larger puzzle um whereas if like because i think chiron has a lot of similar connotations for me around like where you're feeling wounded and sort of like the depths of uh pain in some ways um and also i think saturn and you know there's the eighth house like there's a lot of like for me different places to go but i think with pluto people are sort of like yeah, it's sort of like the scary thing that they're like, oh, it's just something that I can like step in and out of as a human. That will always sort of be the cycle that everyone else is also dealing with. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's sort of my experience with it. Um, that it can go between... Because I think for me, Pluto really is about power. And so I think having access to this sort of power that is generational and that does affect so many different people um, but that you can also use in your own life. Like that's kind of what magic is. That's kind of what we're all searching for all the time. So I think Pluto definitely has big representations that can still be tangible and like flow in between. And I think that's a really cool shape shifty aspect to it. Yeah. So for Pluto and Scorpio specifically, what are some of the major themes that come to mind when you think of this generation? Yeah, I think for me, Pluto and Scorpio is really about, um, like I said, sort of the a culminating point of the underbelly of society and, and social norms and also the psyche. So for me, it has a lot to do with sexuality. Um, I think that the Pluto and Scorpio generation has really brought the... Um, the conversation around sex work to the forefront, the conversation around BDSM and fetish stuff and like just all these sort of like more um, hit previously hidden uh, sort of like, what would I call them? Subcultures of, of like sexual space. Um, so for me, a lot around that. I also think the Pluto and Scorpio d- generation had a lot to do with bringing magic to the forefront and um, and specifically reclaiming the parts of it that I think are darker or harder to face. Um, 
and like the the term witch i think being reclaimed is really in that generation um i also think with pluto and scorpio they're just more willing to like throw the whole thing away they're more willing to like throw the whole person away throw the whole you know the whole country away throw the whole president away throw you know just throw entire things away and i think I think that's definitely a double-edged sword, right? Because I also think cancel culture came to a head with Pluto and Scorpio. Um, but yeah, those are some of the major themes. I know it just threw out a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love that you mentioned that thing about being able to throw away. Like that mm-hmm. feels definitely really connected. And um, yeah, I didn't mention earlier, but I look at Pluto like first thing in a chart because of my training yeah. evolutionary astrology. So it's like the first thing I go to in a person. And um, with Pluto as an archetype in Scorpio, I think of like themes around betrayal in some sense. Mm-hmm. And like this sense of like Scorpio wanting to merge with something. And then when the need is fulfilled, being able to let it go entirely. And this can be really unconscious. And so I think that there's some things in this generation about learning how to trust and learning how to Mm. even trustworthy as well, because um, there can be like a using or an extracting quality when there's something that we're getting out of someone or something. And then as soon as we're fulfilled or decide we don't need anything anymore, it's just like, all right, done. And like completely cutting the cord. Yeah. that can be really powerful. Like there's definitely an act of power, but also kind of like an edge of violence that can come with it too. Um, So that's what that made me think of. And definitely the the sexuality and magic component as well. Um, And like normalizing magic, Mm -hmm. I think with this generation. Yeah. I love what you said about disposability and betrayal and, and stuff like that. I think that's such an important conversation. And if we think about the scorpion itself, like this body that's built for protection and like built to as also as a lethal weapon that like your entire body, like you have pinchers, you're hard, you're like have a hard exoskeleton and you have a stinger that could kill someone. Like everything about it is so much about external protection um, and like threat. And I think like with disposability, right? Like, especially with cancel culture, like this idea that people, yeah, people aren't useful to us anymore if they do one thing that isn't useful to us. And I think people are starting to question that now or as what I'm seeing. And definitely, I think I've always questioned that idea. Uh, No, I have not always questioned that idea. I definitely like adopted cancel culture really heavily um, when I first sort of was becoming uh, politicized. Um, But yeah, I think (laughs) the idea of... I think the interesting thing about it is that in order for things to live, things have to die. And I think of Kali a lot when I think about this energy of, of Pluto and like destruction and cycles that like things do have to die. Um, that, de- that life necessitates death. And, and, you know, I think of the forest and all the dead stuff that everything feeds off of um, or other the fact that like most human beings, I mean, every, anything you eat has had to die from its source. Um, and so 
yeah, just thinking about how death isn't necessarily or like canceling or disposing of things. Well, I don't know. Because I think there's like a composting aspect to consuming things that have died versus disposing of them, right? Like a landfill is like a disposable concept that is like wrecks havoc on regular cycles. Whereas composting is like feeds them. And like, what is the difference between the two? And like, how do our actions and reactions interact with those two different ideas? Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that distinction. And it kind of could be the difference maybe between like just canceling a relationship when something goes wrong versus having a process of restoring or like bringing some kind of rebirth to the connection. And sometimes it is the answer just to sever and end the connection. And I think there's something too about this generation of being really deeply entangled and involved and like just connected so deeply with something that um, severing themselves from it is what allows them to change. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's such a important Um, like what you just said feels really important and um, really vital to the conversation around Scorpio as well, because I think Scorpios are known for sort of like giving everything they have. Um, And when you give everything you have and something doesn't work, you have to take everything you have back. Um, And like thinking about the relationship between Libra and Scorpio and how they're, you know, the succession of those two signs. And yet they're sort of like the way that they, they can learn so much from each other. And yet there's like a, there's a disconnect. And I think you can really see that with generations, um, with the way that like most, like sort of bringing in social change, like the way that most social change has happened prior to now was very much like, oh, we'll vote, we'll fix it. It's da, da, da. It's very much like Libra based. It's very like, put some more on the other side of the scale, right? It's very much about like equality. And I think that the Pluto and Scorpio generation um, has also pushed narrative around equity and the idea that like you can't just put more on one side of the scale to equal it out like if there's been this history of trauma and all this stuff um and yeah i think this like die hard investment in things is necessary. Like, I think that's why astrology is so useful is because Scorpio is a part of the astrological wheel, which means it's necessary, which means this like all out, very like intense, very protective, very deep energy is absolutely necessary. Um, And at the same time, it's only one piece of the puzzle and it's only one way to deal with things. Right. Something that I was thinking of before we started recording was like the tension between like Pluto and Leo and Pluto and Scorpio, for example, and the way that I think when Pluto and Scorpio entered the workforce, they they were like, we're not going to do this this way anymore. If the workplace is abusive, we're opting out. And that there was kind of like older generations being like, no, just do it the way that we did when we were younger and Pluto and Scorpio 
uh, just has this kind of laser vision for power dynamics and they don't want to put themselves in a position where they're disempowered. Yeah. I think that's that whenever people ask me about Pluto, the first term I use is it's about power dynamics. Um, I think Saturn too, but Pluto is about manipulation <laughs> in a lot of ways and like the manipulation of power or the 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 extremes of power and i think when it comes to yeah i think the workplace is really being changed and i think the way that also we're seeing entrepreneurship really boom right now is also almost a a product of disposability in some ways of like all right, well, the workforce isn't working. Like, let's just throw it out entirely. Whereas I feel like the previous generation was much more interested in like unions and like other types of workforce and workplace uh, privileges or, uh, you know, worker solidarity and, and things like that. And those movements had a lot to do with like mending or making livable the structures that already existed. And like, Pluto does not care about that at all. <laughs> Pluto does not care about the structure that existed at all. Um, yeah, that is interesting to think about in terms of the workplace. So we've touched on it a little bit already, but what do you think for this generation? Like what's happening at the individual layer, like the personal narratives for mm. Pluto and Scorpios? I think. That's such a big question. Um, I think there is a really, it it feels like it would be really easy to feel left out from the Pluto and Scorpio generation if you're not the way that everyone is right now. Like what's popular right now is, you know, throw the whole thing away, burn it down. And I think that there's also very little room for negotiation. There's also very little room for mending. Um, And I think that on a personal level, it can feel, first of all, power, like your personal power feeling like, oh, is my personal power to just like direct my personal energy and exactly what I want and exactly what feeds me and nurtures me? Or do I like follow this generational thing, but the generational thing is to do your own thing. It's like, there's a lot of individualism, I think with Pluto and Scorpio. Um, but that's like masked as like community care, (laughs) um, or like community ideals. And so I think Pluto and Scorpio folks, like people who sort of are in that um, in that generation, I think personally feeling, yeah, sort of disenfranchised from what power, what personal power means Hmm. and its implications. Yeah. I think of power just so much with this generation and like powerlessness and that potentially like every person in the generation has And I mean, it's also human. So everyone, you know, can have this part of their experience of like, where do we feel powerless? And even just recognizing that, because I think that powerlessness isn't always so obvious, like with a flag that's like, hey, you feel powerless right now. Like, yeah, but it's an experience. And 
projection comes with that because when we're feeling powerless, we might have like a reason why we feel powerless. Um, and there's personal power that we're then projecting onto whatever that is. Mm -hmm. Um, and working with finding like personal agency and personal empowerment in those areas of life where powerlessness is happening. And I think that, um, even just learning about Pluto and studying this helped me see that at play in my own life and make some changes where before it was just happening at this unconscious level. Yeah. I think the other, the other facet of personal power is, um, sacrifice. And I think sacrificing personal power for collective power or sacrificing or like what is the relationship between power and freedom, I think is a big question that's happening now. Um, and yeah, this idea of like needing to sacrifice certain things to gain power or the idea that... I don't know. I feel like these narratives too around sacrifice are something that Pluto and Scorpio, the Pluto and Scorpio generation really rejects. And yet they fully like unknowingly embrace. Like I think, I think the parts of it that they reject is like sacrificing your pleasure for a job or sacrificing what you want to do for what someone tells you to do. But then oftentimes they're like they're making other sacrifices like feeling feeling um like financial stability they're sacrificing that or they're sacrificing um like monogamous dynamics or they're sacrifice you know they're sacrificing other things every time they make these choices that seem to be from their own personal power and i think that's what's such a i guess I think that sacrifice is also often associated with Virgo in my mind because they're a lot about organization and also about like um, about organization and also the idea of like right and wrong. And I think Scorpio energy is always challenging what's right and what's wrong and thus is also then challenging like what it means to sacrifice for those ideals um so yeah i mean i think the fact that like pluto and scorpio is sort of coming to its peak during pluto in capricorn also makes a lot of sense to me um because pluto and capricorn to me is about like shaking structures from the bottom up. Yeah. Pluto and Scorpios are like, this is what we were born for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, I've always seen Capricorn. This is what I say about Capricorns is that they're like Scorpios in a business suit. Like there's this like darkness and this depth and this like sexuality and this, this power to Capricorns that I think they hold behind their structures and they hold behind their like uptightness and i think like the scorpios are like mm, mm. i don't they're like kind of tearing away the business suit they're kind of like pulling away the facade of what capricorns thought they would had built their stuff off of but are were really like no actually that's like genocide <laughs> and like you know that's actually um 
the depth of human depravity is what you've built these systems off yeah. of and not actually off of, you know, um, right. Like, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. Like, I think that the people who built the systems that we have today, we don't really know what their intentions were. And I think we've all sort of grown up following these laws and abiding by these rules, thinking that they ha- that they made them with the best intentions. And so I think also what Pluto and Scorpio is challenging is um, what good intentions are, what intentions are, and what our assumptions are, which I think is really needed. So yeah, it's a really interesting time right now to have the the Pluto and Scorpio generation really leading the charge um, of like shifting society on like a very foundational level during Pluto and Capricorn. Yeah, so this is interesting, like this capacity for destruction with this generation and not really caring about structure. So there's not an investment in keeping things status quo or business as usual. And I think that for the individual and their like individual karmas, this can be challenging, Mm -hmm. like you said, with financial security and just generally building a life because there's a lot of emphasis on taking things down. But then for the collective implications of this generation, and I think there's been some really interesting things for this generation in terms of historical moments and like Mm. 9-11 early on or financial recession when a lot of Pluto and Scorpios were exiting high school and or college and just this sense of like feeling like they get to a place where maybe they're going to be financially secure and then something's seemingly out of their own control happens to take that away. Um, whether it's a recession, a pandemic. Um, And so feeling like, well, how to invest then in reality, if it's, there's nothing here that's stable and there is that energy and that laser vision to look into what's corrupt um, and to be able to kind of lift that out and expose it and want to take it down. Yeah, definitely. Um, what you were saying about, you know, having something out of your control happen, I think that's what's so fascinating about this idea of a generation, right? Because time is technically a construct <laughs> and age and all these things. Um, and in a lot of ways are constructs. And this construct of what generational impact means and how we sort of have to always be the ones to pick up the pieces of the last generation and like, you know, kind of they pass the baton on to us. And I don't know, I've never seen so much talk about generations until very recently, like, especially with like the okay boomer memes and like, you know, and what's so interesting about that or maybe like obvious about that is that Pluto has to do Pluto and Scorpio um, has to do with cycles and seeing how everything is related to one another and everything is connected and is cyclical. And that I think the way that the U S is built specifically um, and the way that consumerism is built specifically is it does not acknowledge cycles. Um, and so while I do think there is a big emphasis on destruction and a lack of stability, I do think that like, what does it look like if, you know, millennials or Pluto and Scorpio 
like tears the entire world down and Gen Z like rebuilds it. Mm-hmm. Um, or like Pluto and Sag rebuilds it. Like, what does that look like? And is that the point of Pluto and Scorpio? Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's so much in that. Um, I guess I want to start by asking you to like, if you can elaborate on how the world or the U S specifically is not built based on cycles. Mm. Yeah. I think the U S is really entrenched in, um, more and better and bigger and taller and faster. And that's not sustainable, nor does it, nor does it reference the way that the world works, like the, the way that work works. (laughs) <laughs> the way that the workforce works 40 hour work weeks is unsustainable um it's unsustainable to be working every week every year until you're in your 50s that's unsustainable um you know in other countries there's longer breaks um there are different relationships to the workplace a lot of actually what's interestingly enough a lot of workplaces in other countries are generational they're like family businesses that are passed on and on and on um and there's less of that here so there's less need for allegiance there's less humanity and so for me like things that are based in cycles are basically any system that's compostable and basically nothing in the u.s can be composted uh you know all the shit that we're making now out of these materials that we're sort of like creating uh don't know those materials don't know how to go back to the earth that we live on they're they're not like built for that um and that's really scary and so that's what what i mean with the us like the us is built off of like plastic and like ambition <laughs> and i don't think that either of those things are sustainable long term right And then what you were sharing um, was also having me think. um, Let's see if I can collect it. Okay, so as a Pluto and Scorpio person, I feel Mm -hmm. like um, working with this archetype, um, I have put some intention into building and not just tearing things down. And Mm -hmm. but I do have, you know, I build my life off of. of helping people see things, um, whether it's through astrology or like coaching. So I use my kind of like scorpionic intelligence to like help people. Mm -hmm. Um, And my own growth processes involve a lot of internal digging and like finding what's happening underneath and working through it and like coming up on the other side. Um, But in terms of this generation, And I think that for me, like I've had to kind of investigate to find out how to just cope with like existence. (laughs) And I don't think if I hadn't found tools like astrology or other healing modalities, I don't know where I would be. Like it was survival. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And for the generational thing, I think that the Pluto and Sagittarius generation, they're so like, they're like natural politicians, it feels like, or like natural law makers. Um, And even the US, like Pluto return, uh, being in Capricorn, like a lot of the revolutionaries um, at that previous cycle of the US were Pluto and Sagittarius generation. 
who are coming of age during Pluto and Capricorn. So I am really curious what the younger generations will do to construct um, in the wake of Pluto and Scorpio's activities around kind of just uprooting and exposing and taking things down. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also really curious about that. I think (laughs) I really see Sagittarius because it's a, you know, immutable fire energy as like the moving torch and like not quite seeing where you are until you're there. And I think that I don't know. I I think that the way I guess I see like Pluto and Sagittarius as mostly like Gen Z and my, uh, my cousin who's younger than me is in Gen Z and like TikTok and like Mm -hmm. the way that they use Instagram and the way that they're creative and the way that they relate to each other. I like text her constantly. I'm like, can you translate this or like decode this? And like, what is going on? Why are they these haircuts? Why are there these, what is this language that you have that you're doing in these TikTok things? Like, what is this? And like the way that they're building many, many worlds and many languages within each other constantly. And then just like throwing them behind them and then just like keep going. And every time you ask, they're kind of like, I don't know, just happened because this happened. It's just like a chain of events. It wasn't really like intentional. It just happened. And I think that that's what sort of excites me about Pluto and Sagittarius is that it's... It's a wildfire. You can't contain it, nor can you nor can you visualize the construction or destruction that it will create. And I think that in a lot of ways it's incompatible with Pluto and Capricorn. Um and I think what I'm really excited for actually for this year is the entrance of Saturn and Jupiter into Aquarius, because I think that will help give everyone more vision, uh, more long-term vision, and also tap into just thinking more instead of like just acting and moving. Because I think all of those things are great, but you know, in terms of longevity, what does that actually look like? So... <sighs> Yeah, I think I think what's also really fascinating about Pluto and Sag, like Gen Z, is sort of like that. <laughs> yeah, they'll sort of have this burning world that they're like holding and they're kind of like, okay. But you see them already just making something out of it. You know, like they're specifically Gen Z because I think there's such a specific energy. I have a hard time delineating between any other generations. Like to me, they sort of bleed, but I feel like Gen Z is this energy of like, is it Gen Z or is it Gen X? I think, I think it's Gen Z. Yeah. I think it's Gen Z too. Um, to me, like see, seeing them sort of, yeah, like continuing to create these worlds and continuing to create their own realities, especially since they like sort of grew up as like the Sims were, 
you know, reaching their peak and like video games and virtual reality and like the internet, like they just grew up in a world where it was like, oh, you just create it. Even if you, you don't have the capacity yourself, you just create something else or you just do something else. So yeah, I think to me, it's really exciting. Um, I don't know how much I trust it <laughs> to create anything long term, but like maybe we need a break from systems and structures and grinding and all this stuff. Like maybe we just need yeah, the a very like just shake it up. Yeah. And like just kind of let the fire burn for a second. Like it can only go for so long, but that's fine. I think that's the issue with the system before is that they thought it would just people would never change it or people would never, you know, move it. And I think the importance of evolution is being um is really being displayed right now. Hmm. Yeah, I want to do some research with the Pluton Sagittarius generation because I want to understand that generation more. I did a lot of research with like the older generations and mm-hmm. um, feel them pretty strongly, but it was just more recently where I'm like, oh, like younger generations are like coming of age and they're on the internet. <laughs> and like, yeah, there are these like cultural languages that I'm not aware of. <laughs> like don't decide yeah. that. So um but to switch topics a little bit and come back to the Pluto and Scorpio, um, how do you think, like in the context of the racial justice uprising, how do you see Pluto and Scorpio impacting this movement and how do you feel them impacted by it? Mm. Well, I think we already see Pluto and Scorpio people um continuing to say it's not enough. Nah, you know, like legislation is not enough, voting is not enough, doing these things is not enough, and like continuing to set fires, continuing to be in the streets and really leading in that way. And for me, particularly when I've been protesting, it's very obvious what generation is on the mic. Um, and when it's when it's Pluto and Sag, like Gen Z type of kids, there's energy and then it burns out. Or there's energy and then it's like stopped by, um, you know, the generation before millennials. I don't know what that is Um, in terms of like, is it? No, not Pluto based, but like the term for it and, you know, the generations. I don't know if that's like Gen X or boomers. I have no idea. But (laughs) boomers are Pluto. um, Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the generational names. I feel like if it wasn't for astrology, I wouldn't even be talking about generation. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, astrology helps me contextualize everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's just say Pluto and Libra then. But and then when when Pluto in yeah, when Pluto and Libra is on the mic, it's usually like too slow for everyone in the audience. It's not, it doesn't move people. People are kind of like they're they're cheering out of respect. And when Pluto and Scorpio is on the mic, like, oh, this is a burn. <laughs> Pluto and Libra hasn't gotten the right attention on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's. I mean, I think that there's value. I talked about it having value. I talked about how like that Pluto and that that Libra and Scorpio have a lot to learn from each other, and then I think that Scorpio has a lot to learn from Libra. Um, and that's true, but that's all I'll say because I think that when Pluto and Scorpio is on the mic, it's very obvious that there there's this passion and this like 
and this fury almost. And I think it's because of that energy of Scorpios putting everything on the line. Like they're screaming at their voice's capacity. They're moving their bodies in this specific way. And it moves crowds in a very specific way. Hmm. I'm getting, and so, huh? I'm getting chills. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that it's just like, it's different. And um, and I think on both sides, like I think Pluto and, and Sag folks are like, well, wait, let's think about this for a second. And Pluto and Libra just seems very confused about like, okay, well, what do you want after this? Like, I think both sides are kind of like, okay, but then what? And I think Pluto and Scorpio is just trying to, yeah, it's just mostly about like exposure and movement. And like, I think when it comes to racial justice, like the society, specifically being in an American context, like the society that was, that we now have was just sort of built on top of people, was built on top of bodies was built on top of genocide was built from really insidious ways of treating other human beings and i think that pluto and scorpio embodies that fury of that and uh, and 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 has a visceral response to that in a way that i don't see other generations embodying um hmm. and so it makes me feel really hopeful for like the terms like enough is enough or never again to actually be a part of these movements. So I think, I think one of the things that hit really hard for me was when all this started going down, like as a black woman listening to other black women's music from, you know, like listening to Nina Simone or Aretha Franklin, or even just listening to like Sam Cooke or, or some older um, black people you know, singing about change coming, singing about, you know, experiencing all these, all these injustices, even just listening to like Bob Marley, like, which is not even that long ago, them just like experiencing the same thing. It's like, it's been the same thing for so long. And I think that Pluto and Scorpio generation is like, yeah, I'm, I'm tired of, of saying never again, but not actually acting on it. And so I think that's why we're seeing things change so rapidly. Um, I think in terms of its impact on the Pluto and Scorpio generation, I think, I think, like I said, it, it is very divisive. It is like, I, I do think that it's a very like pick a side type of energy and type of time. And I think that, like I said earlier, that can feel isolating for people who are not ready to pick a side. It can feel isolating for people who were never educated or never thought to educate themselves on the systems that they sit on or within. And I don't know how that's going to play out. I mean, I, the way that I see it playing out is it's kind of like let go of what was or be dragged, you know, like a very yeah. let go or be dragged kind of energy. And so I think part of Pluto and Scorpio generation will be running and part of them will be being dragged along. That's what it feels like. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like um it's power because Pluto and Scorpio like that sense of like this is the way that history is moving and like be here for it or else and not just like you know maybe someday let's work towards it in this nice way it's like there's that power of like no this is happening. Um and that yeah that phrase like come with this or be dragged. Um 
it's funny too, because just before, um, like just this morning, like I always have thoughts that like run through my head in like my Mercury and Pisces way, but I was just like thinking of people that, um, are not coping with like the way that history is moving and just kind of like this image of them kind of like moving into the corners of experience. Like they're just quietly removing themselves. Um, and I hear this, like, it's not something that you read on the internet. It's just conversations and things that people say offline of like why they don't feel like they want to be on the internet. Um, and it's like, I don't know what to make of that yet, but it was just that image coming to mind. Mm. Yeah, I think it's interesting to contemplate the role that agency on autonomy plays in being left behind. Like, how much is being left behind a choice? And how much of it is, like, something that happens to you? And I don't really have an answer for that. I think as a person, I try and not think that anything happens to me, but that either either happens by my hand or for me. And I would hope that people who feel like unable to cope find coping mechanisms. I think that that I think the thing about the internet is that not just all the problems are on the internet, but a lot of the answers and a lot of the solutions and a lot of the coping mechanisms and a lot of the things that can help you, you know, be ready for what is happening on the internet are on the internet. So I think that's that's sort of my response is like, I think where you find the problem, you can always find the answer. So. Yeah. Yeah. That sense of like choice uh, feels really important. And I think too, like powerlessness versus finding empowerment. And so like the inner agency to find an empowered way to interact with the situation. Yeah. And I think what's so fascinating about what's happening right now is the the boom, the movement before this popped off, which I think racial justice has always been a, a, a thread that a lot of us have been carrying and been researching for a long time. But in terms of the internet, the booms before this were like astrology and self-care or like mysticism and, and um, you know, spirituality and self-care and i think those tools are now what are going to help us cope with this political experience at least for me like the way that my trajectory was was i started out um i grew up christian and then when we left the christian church when i was nine i became buddhist at 12 and then left buddhism when i started doing political organizing um at 13. And, uh, and then from there, I sort of, you know, political organizing, you're supposed to be atheist, or that's how it used to be. And this like separation between the political and the spiritual. And then, you know, I sort of left political spaces and started getting more into spiritual. And then now I'm using both of them at the same time. And I, and I don't think I would be able to be doing the political work I'm doing without the spiritual practices that I have, which I think is something that you were also speaking to, which is like, I don't know where I would be without, you know, the tools that I have. And so, you know, I think it's sort of like, if you've been writing the trends, they've been going in the direction of like giving you the tools each time for what's coming next. 
Yeah. And hopefully people have been paying attention. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, I want to pick up on that and ask you kind of like where your trajectory has taken you with, you combine astrology with other things. So like, what are Mm -hmm. some of the things that you're working on or teaching in addition to that? Yeah. So my most recent project was, um, 11 relationships course that combined, (laughs) which I loved. Yeah. You were a part of it, which I feel very excited about. Um, yeah, so it was basically, it is because it's still, it's a living project. And I think that's also something that I'm really invested in right now is making everything that I create a living, breathing entity that evolves as I do and as the people within it evolve. Um, but the 11, 11 Relationships mini course um, that I created is, uh, you know, I talk about astrology and love and relationships, but I also talk about spirituality and relationships and being psychic and being, you know, dating while you're being, while you're spiritual and what it means to, you know, use your spiritual practices in your dating life and sort of combining those things. Um, and I also have a manifestation project, which, uh, which is like, a series of interviews as well as like practical tools for learning the practices of manifestation in a very practical grounded way that you can do um, every day. And um, so, you know, and I'm, and I also like, you know, I business coach people, which I don't really talk about publicly, but that's something that I do. Um, And astrology bleeds into that. Uh, Spirituality bleeds into that. So for me, I think astrology is sort of like, the through line for me with a lot of stuff. I think it helps me not only contextualize the actual content, but like when to release things um, and how to talk about that thing at that specific time. And so, yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely still identify as an astrologer in the astrology community, um, but really see it as like a catalyst or, or jumping off point rather than the end of my yeah. conversations. Yeah, I really like that. I feel like um, astrology is really well combined with other fields. Mm-hmm. And there's like a mutual enrichment that happens from doing that. Yeah. Um, so how can people find and work with you or take these courses? Yeah. So you can find everything about me at jaleesacypress.com. And hopefully you'll put that in the show notes or something. I will. It's a, yeah. a name that's not spelled very normal. Um, and then I'm also on Instagram at the same name at Jaleesa Cypress. Um, yeah. You can find me at hello at jaleesacypress.com. It's something that I said here was interesting to you or you hated it. I love hearing it all because I love to talk. Um, yeah, I also have a, a podcast um, as well called Fun But Heavy. That's sort of a project that explores themes similar like we did today where we just sort of pick a topic and, um, and dive into it, usually around spirituality or sexuality or personhood. So mm-hmm. yeah, I have lots of different offerings available if you just want to poke around my universe. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Julissa. Yeah, thank you for hosting me. This was really incredible, Sabrina. Thank you for, um, yeah, creating this podcast. It's been really cool to see it unfold. Thank you.
having this conversation. And something that I also really enjoy is when I get sustained body chills when someone I'm interviewing is talking. And that happened this time. Um, It's always such a good feeling. And also, I'm really appreciating Jalisa's point that there have been these different um, spikes of movements and that if you've been following that trail, you're prepared for every subsequent movement. And I think about that with kind of the moment that we're in, there's this vibe of choosing what side of history that you want to be on. So one thing that I think about is Cosmos and Psyche by Rick Tarnas and his work exploring the way that there are these zeitgeist or these moments in history that have this kind of archetypal thrust of their own. And there is a collective consciousness, there is a world soul. And then we're also personal beings and we choose how we participate with the world and how we adapt to what's happening in the world. And I think that there's a really big call with the Saturn-Pluto conjunction. You know, what as astrologers we could have predicted for this time before knowing the context of the specifics is that there would be a call towards moral transformation a call towards taking greater responsibility. And we can definitely see that happening right now. I hope that you gained some insights, um, as I did, about the Pluto and Scorpio generation and maybe some more curiosity about exploring the Pluto generations. It's something that I've talked about on this podcast. Um, it's something I definitely teach about. Um, and it's something that you can get more of a lens toward understanding through taking my evolutionary astrology intensive. And what I love so much about astrology, and this is something that astrologers will agree on, pretty much, I don't think I've met an astrologer who disagreed. Um, but there's this sense that astrology is ever expanding. It is a study of cycles. And so even your understanding, your lucidity and awareness about a certain archetype uh, may peak at one moment of a cycle, and then you'll have a new one the next year and the next year and the next year. So it's a really beautiful template for studying and understanding reality and drawing closer towards the mystery of reality through this beautiful symbolic language. So thank you for being here. If you enjoy this podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes to leave a rating and a review. And if you take a screenshot before you click submit and email that over to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll take down your email and I will send you a free gift that I'm sending to podcast reviewers when that gift is ready. It won't be too much longer. (laughs) I have so many projects on my plate with this Kickstarter, but um, and I'm a perfectionist, honestly, but I will get it to you. And in the meantime, if you have some things to say about this podcast, um, I would love to hear from you. Um, It's really wonderful to read your reviews and it also helps more people find this podcast. Um, So it is a way to give back and I really appreciate it. I hope you have a beautiful week and I'd love to hear what you think about this episode. Go ahead and comment on where you see this posted on social media, probably Instagram. You can go find me there at Sabrina Monarch and um, tag Jalisa Cypress as well. I'll be leaving the, um, 
all the links and her handles in the show notes as well so that you can go and follow her. All right. Have a beautiful week. Thank you for being here. Thank you.